Good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. There is an insert in your bulletin um, that has to do with the nominating committee. I know in years past, the nominating committee hasn't been uh, that active, but I'm trying to uh, reinvigorate it and get it to be uh, an active part of the life of the church. And now what a nominating committee does is tries to figure out who has gifts and talents to do certain things in the life of the church, or the nominating committee um, fields your requests, your sharing of your opinion about that, and, and tries to discern uh, whether you're um, really messed up about uh, where you have talents or whether you are a blessing in that way. And it would be great to have you uh, be serving that way. For example, on Staff Parish, Staff Parish handles personnel issues. You wouldn't want someone who is uh, quick to argument, um, uh, you know, super worried or hysterical, quick reactions to things. You need, you need people that are kind of even balanced and um, spiritually grounded on Staff Parish. So there's, we have different talents. We have different gifts. And the nominating committee helps to match the service opportunity to the gift. So here in your bulletin is a very simplified version of something that you've, you've seen years ago. It's been handed out many times in different ways, sometimes as part of the pledge campaign to emphasize the importance of service as part of our stewardship. Um, we're doing it now because the nominating committee wants to know, are there other people who would like to serve in ways? They want to uh, liven up the church, get as many people as possible involved in, in doing the work of the church. So if that's you, fill this out. Let us know how you'd like to serve. If you're already on trustees, you don't need to tell us you'd like to be on trustees still because you're on it. But if you're thinking that maybe you'd want to do something that you're not currently doing, let us know. Um, and if you're kind of wondering, well, I don't know what that is. I don't know where that spot is in the life of the church, but I have a passion for this, or I have this talent, skill set, then use the second thing and just tell us uh, what you're good at. And we'll see if we can figure out um, how to get you more pronounced into the service life of the church. Making sense? Hand them in to the church office or put them in the offering plate. We'll do this for a few Sundays, and then uh, we'll be beyond it. stand as we are able and join in our call to worship. It's found in your order of worship. Come, let us unite our voices in worship of God. We sing God's praises and rejoice in the work of God's grace in our lives. Thanks be to God for all the blessings of our lives. Thanks and praise be unto God. Let us remain standing as we join in our hymn of celebration number 152. I sing the almighty power of God.
I sing the almighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. I sing the wisdom Christmas Eve, going home to see her mama and her daddy with her baby in the back seat. Fifteen miles to go when she was running low on faith and gasoline. It'd been a long, hard year. She had a lot on her mind and she didn't pay attention. She was going way too fast. Before she knew what she was spinning on a thin black sheet of glass. She saw both their lives flash before her eyes. She didn't even have time to cry. She was so scared. She threw her hands up in the air. Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my hands. Cause I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go. So give me one more chance. Save me from this road I'm on. Jesus, take the wheel. It was still getting colder as she made it to the shoulder and the car came to a stop. She cried when she saw that baby in the back seat sleeping like a rock. And for the first time in a long time, she bowed her head to pray. She said, I'm sorry for the way I've been living my life. I know I've got to change. So from now on tonight, Jesus, take the wheel, take it from my hands, because I can't do this on 
give me one more chance save me from this road i'm on jesus take the wheel me, Christy. Give me a moment. That was fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Woo. Oh. Listen and receive a reading from the Word of God. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 29. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. This is God's words to God's people.
the vastly differing perceptions that people have of, of public figures is really just amazing. In the recent past, we have seen this both for President Obama and President Trump. Each has been deified, could do no wrong, and each has been demonized. Nothing they do is good at all. Now, we know, though, that there is really only one reality that is going on. Both sides are seeing the same person and the same history unfold, yet they are perceiving it differently, understanding it differently. I know that many folk uh, loved JFK, but I am aware that my father was not one of them. And that was because, at least as the story is told to me, uh, dad was in a hotel lobby in Buffalo and Kennedy and his entourage came bursting through and dad and the other proletariat were pushed to the side of the lobby. And ever since that experience, he was convinced that Kennedy was a something. <laughs> Not favorable in his eyes. It's interesting to notice how one person doing one life can be perceived in a variety of ways depending on what we're told about or experience of that person and our interpretation of that information or experience. So there's a story, maybe you've heard it. There's an elephant in the room and three people are blindfolded and one person uh, exclaims, well, that's, it's like a snake, this creature. And that's because that person is grabbing the tail of the elephant. And another blindfolded person says, no, 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 it's, it's like a tree trunk, solid, round, tall. And, and that person is touching the leg of the elephant. And then a third person says, no, 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 it's, it's a large leaky hose and they're touching the snout of the elephant. We understand reality in terms of our experience and our knowledge of it. Now something like this goes on with Jesus also. Who is Jesus really? What do we know and what do we accept as true about, about Jesus? Every Christmas and Easter, at least it seems to be every Christmas and Easter, there's a series of articles in the, in the daily papers or in the weekly uh, journals, and there'll be blogs about it now, in which these questions are debated, research is shared again, information is, is thought through. Yet, honestly, these questions are not just for Christmas and Easter, but these are questions that people ask daily in their lives. As folk negotiate the challenges of their lives and as they try to think about what is the best way to live forward into life abundant. So it's really not an academic question. It really is a a personal question. 
Who do you say Jesus is? And we here among us today, we might have varying thoughts on this depending on our spiritual experiences and what we've learned through Bible study or the reading of books. So I want to up front say, take heart in knowing that there was confusion about Jesus back when Jesus was walking the earth. It's gone on for 20 centuries. In fact, Jesus explores this with his disciples. He asks Peter, as we heard in the scripture, who do people say I am? And he gets these three varying answers, and then Jesus turns it personally to Peter and says, well, who do you say I am, man? And Peter goes, you're the Messiah. How great if it had just been ended there, if the issue had been put the rest there. You're the Messiah. All right, everybody jumps up and down, celebrates, the word is spread, and, and there you go. But even among those gathered there with Peter, there was a, a shaking of the head, a, a wondering, well, now, really, what does that mean? How do I know that is true? What's going on here, really? Everyone didn't see Jesus like Peter saw Jesus. And in fact, when we read the Gospels, we wonder whether Peter really understood what Peter said when you get a little further along. So I came across the book, which I want to share a, a lengthy quote with you, but it's a uh, a helpful quote, I think, if you can follow along with what I'm reading. This is by Greg Riley. Gregory Riley, he's a, a professor at Claremont, and this book, one of his many books, this book is called One Jesus, Many Christ. And he's sharing with us uh, what he and all biblical scholars know, which is there's a great variety of perception about who Jesus was at the time of Jesus' life, his death, the time of the movement of the church as it grew, there was not a unanimity of perception. There was a great diversity of perception. And that's what Greg is sharing with us, that I'm sharing with you. Seen from our modern point of view, Christians from before the time of the creeds, especially the earliest Christians, seem not to have understood Jesus at all. They disagreed on whether Jesus was a man or a god or an angel or something else. They differed on his manner of birth, whether it was natural or whether it was divine. Or perhaps he had not been born at all, but descended full grown from above. We have some gospels that say that. They disputed whether he had a real human body or a ghostly spiritual one or one like that of the gods themselves. They argued, therefore, over what kind of resurrection he had, whether spiritual or fleshy. They could not even agree on whether he actually died. The Christ was not supposed to die. Perhaps he only appeared to do so. Or some substitute made to look like him died in his place. And before that, what kind of man was he? 
a philosopher, a prophet, a teacher. Well, there may be a little hyperbole here in Greg's words to, to get us provoked and thinking, but all that he's saying is in writings of the time of people who were in contact with Jesus or in contact with Jesus' earlier followers trying to make sense out of the claims that the faithful were making about Jesus. The early church, on behalf of all of us that followed afterwards, sifted through these various understandings. The memories of Jesus' actions and teachings were shared with one another verbally and then were written down, and those documents were circulated among the early movement centers, Corinth, Ephesus, Rome, and and they kind of cross-fertilized each other's, these writings and these memories. And the thinking coalesced, and these four Gospels surfaced as the ones that were perceived to be the most helpful for us in understanding who Jesus was. And they were canonized, and other Gospels, multiple other Gospels, were relegated to the sidelines, became called heretical, um, and lost until this cave was discovered that and in that digging under this library these things were discovered and and we now have some uh, renderings of these other gospels we moderns we benefit from knowing the developmental nature of scripture we're not straitjacketed by some old-time literalism or religious rigidity, we come to scriptures open to absorb what it reveals, seeking the timeless truths of God, us, how we connect where we go. So I think maybe a good way to get a handle on this um, challenge for us, this, this way of making sense of Jesus that we moderns need to do in light of what has been passed on to us, is to recognize that there, there seems to be an understanding of Jesus that is pre-Easter and an understanding of Jesus that is post-Easter. This kind of thinking comes from Marcus Borg, but a, a number of, of good biblical scholars who have tried to wade into this area and make some sense of it for us. A pre-Easter Jesus, a Jesus of history, a Jesus that walked the earth, that ate, drank, that we hear healing and teaching, a pre-Easter Jesus, and then a post-Easter Jesus, which is a Jesus of faith. So uh, a pre-Easter Jesus has a, has a number of identities that you might like and grab hold of. Maybe uh, people you know who are not in church will, will say, yes, I, I see this in Jesus, even though they, they may not be in a worshiping congregation. Um, but there are qualities to the pre-Easter Jesus that we all affirm or many of us affirm, and, and some of us would hold tightly to one or two of them in particular when we think about Jesus in our lives. Jesus, to begin with, was a Jewish mystic. 
God was a, an experiential reality for Jesus in a really, really dramatic way. And his experience of the sacred is the most pervasive explanation of everything else that he becomes, is that there seemed to be a oneness, a, an intimacy, a power. Jesus was a Jewish mystic. He was a healer and an exorcist. More healing and exorcism stories are told about him than about any other figure in the Jewish religious tradition. He was a wisdom teacher. Jesus used the classical forms of wisdom, parables, aphorisms, to explore the classical subjects of wisdom, God, human nature, how the two relate, future. What's the best way to live? The way. This is strong wisdom teaching stuff from Jesus. Jesus was a prophet. Like the canonical Jewish prophets, he was a radical critic of the domination system lived out in those times by Rome. Critic of it in the name of God. Loud and verbal about it. About God's passion for justice for the marginalized. Didn't hedge on that. Many people feel that more than anything else, this is what led to his execution. His prophetic voice. And clearly, since we're gathered 20 centuries later, Jesus was a movement initiator. What became a small little group at the time of his death that was actually in fear and fleeing became something 20 centuries later that is spread around the globe. Now all of these are accurate ways, are accurate ways to make sense of Jesus. He was, after all, all of these and your embracing of Jesus in any of these ways is spot on. It's a, it's a good. And your friends and neighbors, if they make sense of Jesus in any of these ways, pat them on the back. They, they've got a part of the story um, in hand. It's, it's a good. Yet, Jesus was more than a mystic, more than a healer or teacher or prophet, more than a leader of a movement. He became the Christ, became our Lord and Savior. And this is what Borg and others mean when they speak of the post-Easter Jesus, the Jesus of faith. As important as it is to have an understanding of who Jesus is anchored in the pre-Easter historic reality. What's most important for all of us is the Jesus of faith, the post-Easter Jesus. Because this Jesus is the Jesus that we encounter in our lives in the deepest of ways. This is the Jesus of experience rather than just the Jesus of thought.
who spiritually pours into us and knocks us on our knees and raises our visions to the heavens. This is the Jesus that seeks us out, enters our hearts, heals our souls, revives our spirits, showers our lives with blessings upon blessings. In the great religious tradition of our faith, this is the Jesus that saves our souls. So I want to say as we get going here together with one another for what I hope is a number of glorious years of of faith and ministry to the purposes of God in this place, that you will just be at peace with all this diversity of perception of Jesus that your neighbors might have, that even people in the pews, when you get to talk to them candidly, might have. Just be at peace. God is God. Jesus is who Jesus is, whether we've got that right or not. Whether your neighbor's got that right or not. And Jesus is going to do what Jesus does. Whether we're hip to that or not. The main thing is we want to be hip to it and moving along with it rather than contrary to it, right? But God's going to do what God does. And so our task is to do our best to get in sync with this God that we feel is revealed to us through this Jesus, this post-Easter Jesus, this pre-Easter Jesus. And let that spirit have its full way with us as much as we can today. And then maybe a little bit better next week. And a little bit better the week after that. And maybe in that pilgrimage, wherever we are now, to where God wants us to be, we'll find ourselves growing through our perception of who Jesus is. We'll find ourselves more freely opening ourselves up to the power of the living Christ. And we'll find ourselves more in sync with our better selves. Now, our impression is that this is the Jesus that is uh, hanging around here. This Jesus of faith. That this is the Jesus that we experience in our worship, that we seek to learn about in our study, that we seek to honor through our stewardship or serve through our, our witness. I think you'll find this Jesus here extending a, a hand to help lift you back up onto your feet time and again and again. Who extends a hug to help heal your wearied soul time and again and again. And that actually then pats you on the back and says, go on out there and get them. Go. Go and do in my name and make a difference to the good. I think that's the Jesus that hangs out here at our church. And I hope as time passes, we will sense that powerful presence more and more in our worship and all that we do. Amen?
Amen. As people of faith who, who have experienced the teacher, the prophet, the healer, and the movement maker, we have the opportunity to respond to God's gift by presenting our tithes, gifts, and offerings, and also our lives in such a way that they might move forward to do God's good in the world. Our ushers will wait upon us as we receive the gift of music.
receive these gifts that they might be used to bring about your kingdom here on earth. Not just the monetary gifts, but the gifts of our very lives that we might bring honor and praise to you in all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And let us remain standing as we join in our final hymn, number 568. Woohoo, 568. <laughs> I don't know if we can't ever get enough of the choir and our musical people. Aren't they great? So in their honor, I've, I've made up a word called extrite to give them an excuse to end the service as they also begin the service with an introit. So we'll gather hands and we'll have the benediction and then we'll just stay put for a second and let the choir do a little P.S. to it, and then we'll be on our way, all right? So uh, let's be in prayer. Holy God, we thank you for the blessings of this time of worship. Uh, steady us in our spirits and send us out in your love to serve in your name. Amen. Amen.
Amen. <laughs>